1: Okay, are we on now?
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, I've messed up so much today. I just wanted to make sure before I started blabbing and I wasn't talking to anything. Uh, (laughs) Hi, this is Monica and Victor. And this is, um, yeah, Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. And I think I have a good lineup for you today. Um, I I promised you some science fiction last week, and then I added um, another little surprise at the end. Um, But the first thing we're going to go to is um, it's a show called Exploring Tomorrow, and it's um, a science fiction fantasy, and it's a It's called The Trouble with Robots. And um, I actually kind of liked this one. Uh, I'm not a real big fan of science fiction. I am. It depends on what it is. Um, But anyway, um, let's give this a listen and um, I'll be glad to hear how you liked it.
3: program you are about to hear is largely fiction, science fiction. We make no guarantees, however, how long it will remain
4: fiction. Exploring tomorrow.
5: And now here is your
3: guide to these adventures of the mind, John Campbell, Jr., the problem of dealing with robots is a rather peculiar thing. You know, when you deal with another human being, you can say, well, uh, you know what I mean. And you can say, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. When you're dealing with a robot, though, you have a different situation. If you say, you know what I mean, the robot says, "The no, tell me. Tell me. trouble with the robot is that it will always do exactly what you tell it, whether it makes sense or not. It has no judgment, whatever. For instance, an automobile is a robot. You tell it to drive straight ahead, it drives straight ahead, right into the concrete bridge abutment. It doesn't have any sense. Uh, Another thing, if we say home is the hunter, to a man this makes sense. Uh, We think of the poem as a quotation. What would such a phrase mean to a robot? A report from James Martin, special agent to the director of the United Nations Intelligence Service, February 19, 1993. Dear Chief, I hope you had a happy St. Valentine's Day. I wish I could say the same for myself. The way it looks now, the only valentine I'll get will be one with my epitaph on it. I hope this report reaches you eventually. You may never get it, or if you do, I may be dead by then. Maybe it was a good idea to take this section of Europe and reform the country of Transylvania again, but right now I'm inclined to doubt it. Since Transylvania became a new country, there have been queer things going on here. As for your instructions, I got an appointment to see Baron Decklitz, the Prime Minister. When the appointment came through, I was met at the front door of my hotel by Colonel Bronwick, the head of the Transylvanian secret police. Ah, Mr. Mr. Martin. I was instructed to escort you to Castle Declitz. You have an appointment with the Baron, I believe. Yes, that's right. And you are... I am Colonel Bronlick at your service, Mr. Martin. Come. This is our limousine here at the curb. Well, this is uh, very kind of you, Colonel. Kind? Not at all. It is my duty. You are an agent of the United Nations. It is, therefore, my duty to escort you about. Especially when you are going to call on our Prime Minister, Baron Declitz. I see. I, uh... I suppose we'll have to wait for your chauffeur. Oh, not at all, Mr. Martin. This is a robot operated automobile. Observe. I merely press this button.
4: Yes, Colonel
3: Drive us to the Castle decklets.
4: Yes, sir.
3: Well, Mr. Martin, do we not have all the modern conveniences here in Transylvania? Oh, yes, yes, very modern. You'll have telephones next. We have uh, robot-operated machines in my country, too, Colonel, but I must admit that none of them are capable of talking as this one does. You find that unusual? Well, yes, yes. A robot brain capable of conversation would be too large to fit in this automobile. <laughs> the brain is not in this car, Mr. Martin. This vehicle is guided by remote control. The actual brain of the robot is in an underground chamber beneath the castle decklets. Oh, yes. Yes. The Baron's castle may look on the outside as though it were a thousand years old, but the equipment within is quite modern. Well, I uh, have to admit that it's pretty convenient to have robot-operated remote control transportation. All of the Baron's transportation works this way. His cars, his aircraft, his boats, everything. Hmm. Sounds as though Baron Decklitz runs the whole country by remote control. With a robot like that around, it's a wonder he needs any human helpers. Mr. Martin...
6: I will thank you not to criticize
3: the government of Transylvania. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend. After all, I am supposed to be a diplomat. You might try harder, Mr. Martin. Why is the car slowing down, Colonel? Do you see the portcullis? That heavy steel grate that closes the entrance? That, too, is controlled by the robot brain. The Baron certainly seems to be well guarded. Very well guarded indeed, Mr. Martin. It is difficult for anyone to get into Castle Decklitz. It is even more difficult to get out.
7: Exploring Tomorrow continues in just a moment.
8: All of us as American citizens believe in our inherent liberties and freedoms such as the freedom for educational, social, and economic opportunity. Our American system of education is the fertile soil which feeds the roots of democracy. By teaching us to think for ourselves, it has given us a deeper understanding of life around us and the ability to regulate our thoughts and opinions. But we must always be alert to the fact that with this freedom comes a responsibility The responsibility of using our opportunities to their best advantage so that we benefit from them, not only as individuals, but as a United Nation. Accept that responsibility
5: and ensure
8: your freedom.
3: United Nations agent Jim Martin had managed to get an appointment to see Baron Decklitz, Prime Minister of the newly formed country of Transylvania. But now that he had gotten inside the baron's castle, he was beginning to see what was wrong with the new country. Because the castle itself was nothing more nor less than a huge robot. He had managed to get inside a robot. That castle was a real nightmare. There were hidden television cameras everywhere and they all relayed everything they saw to that big brain in the cellar. No matter where a man might go in that castle, he was never out of the sight of those robotic eyes. Colonel Bronwick escorted me into a big, comfortable, ultramodern room, told me to help myself to the sherry, and left me to wait for Baron Declan's. I went over to the bar. There were no glasses there, no bottle of sherry. I thought that maybe the colonel was having a little joke, when suddenly a voice came from a wall speaker.
4: What would you like to drink, sir?
3: Oh, uh, a glass of sherry.
4: Yes, sir.
3: panel slid open in the wall and a glass of sherry came out. Good evening, Mr. Martin. No, no, no. Don't bother to rise. Sit down. Now, how may I help you? Good evening, Your Excellency. May I present my identification? No, stop. Before you put your hand in your pocket, Mr. Martin, let me warn you not to try to draw a gun. I assure you that if you tried it, you would be detected by my robot and you would be shot down where you stand long before you could aim your own gun. A robot can think and act much faster than a human being can, Mr. Martin. Well, I didn't come here to kill you, Baron. I'm not an assassin. I'm I'm here on United Nations' business. Yes, I am aware of that. I merely wanted to warn you. And now, please, your identification. Yes, here it is, sir. Thank you. Yes, that seems to be in order. Now, what business does the United Nations have with the Prime Minister of Transylvania? Well, I'll be frank with you, Baron. There's something wrong here in Transylvania. The U.N. doesn't interfere with the internal government of its members unless the government is violating the basic rights of its citizens. But frankly, sir, Transylvania is doing just that.
4: You impudent young swine!
3: Transylvania is a scientifically run country. It is run by mathematically logical principles. All decisions of the government are analyzed carefully by robotic computers. Well, yes, but... You think I make the policy for the country? No! All policy decisions are made by the robots
4: so that they can be scientifically accurate.
3: What happened? The
4: lights went out. The power has been cut off. Someone... Oh! Martin, you shot me. You...
3: Cut off the power so my robot could not operate. Baron, I will get you, Martin. When the lights came on again a second or two later, the Baron was sprawled on the floor. I looked around the room, but I couldn't see anyone. I hadn't shot the Baron. I didn't even carry a gun. Whoever had killed him made a clean getaway so far. I knew I had to get out of there, too. Just before the power went off, I'd been arguing with the Baron. When the robot came to it, would shoot me down with the hidden automatic guns in the walls. I had to get out of the castle decklets. When I got outside, I saw that the steel gate in the side wall of the castle was open. Nearby was the car that had brought us in. The keys were in the ignition. I got inside, fast. I gunned the car toward the gate. Just as I came near, the gate began to close. Just as I went through the gate, it slammed shut. I breathed easier after that. At least I managed to get out of the castle decklets. But I'd forgotten one thing. When the car started to slow up, I pushed down harder on the accelerator. But it didn't help. Hey, what's going on? The car's turning around. I can't control it. It's taking me back to the castle. how complex and intelligent it may appear, it's still a machine. The trouble with the machine is that once it's set to do a particular job, it doesn't do any good to argue with it. The only way to stop it is to shut it off or wreck it. Jim Martin was in no position to do either. It was kind of like being in an automatic elevator with the controls stuck. It was going where it was going and there wasn't anything to do about it. I knew I'd have to get out of that car. It wasn't going very fast yet, so I decided to jump before I got up too much speed. I rolled across the road. It shook me up a little to jump out of a moving car, but I wasn't hurt. I got up, brushed off the dirt, and started down the road toward the city. It was about five miles away through the thick forest and about six miles by road. I decided to follow the road. I didn't want to get lost. I'd been walking about ten minutes when I heard a noise was a helicopter coming from the direction of the castle. I got off the road fast and hid under a tree. It was dark, and even with the moon shining, it would have been hard for a human being to spot me from the air. But the television eyes of that helicopter were sharper than human eyes. The robot saw me.
4: You must come back to the castle, sir. Not
3: me, Buster.
4: The helicopter will land. You will get
3: in. The moon lit up the helicopter pretty well. I could see the snouts of the mounted machine guns pointing at me, but I didn't care. I figured that going back to the castle would be certain death anyway. I jumped behind the tree and then dived under a nearby bush and started crawling.
4: Where are you? You must come back. I just lay flat and kept quiet.
3: And then I heard another sound on the road. There was a car coming. Robot. This is Colonel Braunlake. I noticed the helicopter hovering, so I came immediately. Is the murderer Martin nearby?
4: Yes. He is somewhere in the woods to your right. Excellent.
3: I have a squad of men here. We will capture him.
4: Yes. He must go back to the castle.
6: All right, men. Spread out. Cover the whole area. He must be somewhere close by. Run on the searchlight
3: they'd spot me soon. There was a spotlight moving near me. I decided that my only chance was to run for it. If i stayed where I was, I'd die. Here goes.
4: There he is! Stop him! Shoot him down!
3: It was the craziest gun battle I'd ever seen. Before the soldiers could shoot me, the helicopter's weapons had gunned them down. And while it was doing that, Colonel Bromley could climb back into his armored car and shot down the helicopter with the turret gun. By the time the whole thing was over, I was well hidden in the underbrush. Pretty soon I heard the armored car drive away. But I just stayed where I was. It didn't make sense. Why had the robot's helicopter shot down the soldiers? Whose side was the robot on, anyway? I decided that since everything was quiet now, I'd better get moving. I wanted to get to the city by dawn. So I crawled out from my hiding place and headed for the road again. I didn't get far. Put up your hands, Mr. Martin! Colonel Bromley, I, uh... I didn't see you behind that tree. I I thought you'd driven off in the armored car. Oh, no. As soon as I shot down the helicopter, the robot brain took control of the car. I jumped out. I uh, suppose you're going to shoot me like you shot the Baron? Hmm. Of course. The robot is convinced that you killed the Baron. And so will the people of Transylvania be convinced. And I will proclaim myself the new Prime Minister. No wonder this country's in trouble. The Baron was a crackpot and so are you. Well, looks like the robot has another helicopter to operate. Good. The robot can kill you and save me the trouble. Well, I don't think so. Have you figured out why the other helicopter shot down your men instead of shooting down me? An accident. The robot could not see well in the dark. Perhaps I should not have shot it down, but it was obviously faulty. Ah, you're not thinking straight tonight,
4: Colonel. You must get in the helicopter, Mr. Martin. You must go back to the castle. Well, I'm
3: afraid I can't do that. If I move, the colonel will shoot me.
4: That cannot be permitted.
3: (laughs) Well, thanks. Thanks, Rupert, old boy. That's the end of the man who shot the Baron.
4: That does not concern me. My orders are to bring you back alive. Get in the helicopter, please.
3: Anything you say, pal. Let's go. The helicopter took me back to the Castle Decklitz. When it landed in the courtyard, the robot had more orders for me.
4: Go into the main hall. The Baron wants
3: you. I walked back to the room where the Baron had been shot. My hunch had been right. The Baron, stubborn old cuss, had refused to believe that he was dying. He wanted to teach me a lesson. So he'd given the robot orders to bring me back alive. Alive. So that meant that if anyone threatened my life, the robot would have to stop them. And it used its automatic machine guns to do it. It didn't matter to the robot that the Baron was dead. As long as the Baron's hand was on that control button, the robot had to obey its orders. It had hunted me down and brought me back. I walked over to the control panel and talked into the microphone. Robert, you will obey my orders now. Yes, sir. Very well. As soon as I leave here, you will cease operation. You will turn yourself off. You will never operate again. Do you understand?
2: Yes, sir.
3: All right. I'm gonna go out and take one of the Baron's cars. He won't need it. <laughs> That about winds up the report, Chief. I hope I'll be able to deliver it to you. I'm in my hotel room right now, but there's rioting in the streets outside. Transylvania has been turned upside down. Nobody knows who killed their Prime Minister, Baron Decliffe, nor do they know who machine-gunned Colonel Bromley. But the worst trouble is with the robot. You see, the Baron had the idea he could run the whole country with the robot. It was supposed to be a scientific form of government. That robot ran almost everything in the whole area. It controlled the power plants, the telephones, transportation, even the garbage disposal. And ever since it shut itself off, nothing has worked in the whole country. As a result, Transylvania has no government and no organization. The idea of running a government by machine was a failure. The trouble with a lot of very logical and honest people is that they think that logic is both necessary and sufficient. Well, it's really only necessary. The idea of the machine government was a failure. It always will be. But the trouble with the Baron was that he forgot one basic thing. It's sane for men to run machines. But it's insane for a machine to run men. Machines can handle truth and do a perfect job of it. But they cannot handle judgment. They have none.
5: Heard in our cast tonight were Larry Haynes and Don Douglas. Script was by
3: Randall Garrett. Produced and directed by Sanford Marshall here in New York.
1: Bill Maher speaking. Okay, guys and gals. I- Shut up.
0: <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> uh- <laughs> I find it interesting. What's the name of that feature?
1: Uh, It's Exploring Tomorrow.
0: No, no, the title of the story.
1: Oh, uh, uh, oh, uh, well, the title of the story was Exploring Tomorrow, but it came from my Beyond Tomorrow folder.
0: Right. It was called The Trouble with...
1: Oh, the trouble with robots, I'm sorry
0: See, you said it right But those (laughs) guys didn't
1: (laughs) I can't understand
0: They say robots
1: Robot, yeah, I noticed that too (laughs) You did, right? Okay. I was going to mention that to you later So I'm glad you mentioned (laughs) it to me
0: (laughs) I know, it's like Are these guys not speaking English properly
1: or something? For real robots, <laughs> it's like it's spelled R O B U T S.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. I can't understand how they. I mean, it's amazing how they were uh, pronouncing that all those years ago.
1: Well, I don't think everybody pronounced it that way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's pronounced that way either.
1: I I think most people said robots. <laughs> Well, shall I go on to the next one?
0: I think we should.
1: Oh, oh no, let's just sit here. <laughs> okay, everybody. Um, hope you enjoyed that. I, I kind of did it. Uh, it was, it was kind of a scary thing—a a government run by robots. Make sure I say it right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I
0: think I. You know what? I think I think it was an interesting premise about robots controlling humans when it's inherently flawed for either to control the other. Yeah. I mean, I don't think a man can use proper judgment because emotions get in the way and the problem with robots is that ima- emotions don't get in the way. In
1: the way, yeah. yeah. So either way, you know, you kind of got to
0: Yeah, it is quite interesting.
1: But anyway, um going on to the next one, um y'all just sit back and take your shoes off and set a spell and enjoy your favorite drink and um we're gonna do one called X minus one. Um and the the story is called No Contact. And you know it's it's uh,
0: the beginning announcement is so hokey they say x minus one
1: and then they usually <laughs> do that thing where they count backward
0: yeah 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 exactly exactly um, <laughs> that is funny
1: but the first 15 shows that they did were actually dimension X shows and then they went to X minus 1. Oh, where they got stories from different sources and, um, they went on from, uh, 1951 to 58. Okay. And then in the seventies, um, people tried to revive old time radio and they tried to revive X minus one and, um, there were still there were fans of it, even in the seventies. But yet they didn't take to the old time radio. I guess there's just too much television. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, I so can it, see that.
1: So after that, then it started going to podcast format, and now, um, you know, it, it's popular with people that way. Mm-hmm. So um, let's give it a listen. No contact. And I'll see you when we get finished.
5: Countdown for off. X minus 5, minus 4, minus 3, minus 2, X minus 1. Fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years and a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents X-1. Tonight's story, No Contact. It was in the year of 1982 that spacemen first discovered the great galactic barrier. In the past 10 years, rocket travel to the moon and the nearer planets had become commonplace. And then men fixed their sights on a more distant star, the remote planet known as Volta. Five exploratory ships went out and none came back, each in turn disappearing mysteriously at the same vanishing point, at an invisible wall somewhere in the vast outer reaches that became known as the wrecker of spaceships, the Galactic Reef. And yet, the explorers refused to admit defeat. It was on June the 2nd, 1987, that the rocket Star Cloud made ready for takeoff. The sixth to attempt to crack the barrier and win through to Volta.
9: Now, hear this. Condition green. Two minutes to blast off. Condition green. Two minutes to blast off.
8: Well, Lewis, this is it. I don't suppose you'll be needing the ship's doctor up here on the bridge during blast-off? I
10: think not, Smitty. There's little chance of acceleration bends in these new overdrive ships. I'll
8: be in my office then, counting vitamin pills if you need me. It's only a few steps. Good luck, Lewis.
10: Thank you, Smitty. Uh, Lieutenant Collier. Uh, Yes, sir? You're relieved. You'd better get down to navigation control and take over. Yes, sir. Uh, Lieutenant. Yes, sir? We've never flown together before. This is your first flight in a space vessel as big as the Star Cloud. Yes, sir, but I was trained in oversized jobs at the Naval Academy. Well, if you're half as good a navigator as your father was, you'll do fine. Thank you, sir. Did you ship out with my father? I served under him on one of the first rocket runs to the moon. I see. I almost went along on his last trip to the barrier. I'm too bad about that. Yes, sir. That's all, Conyer. Lieutenant Paulison. Get me the ground control tower on the field. I want to talk to Colonel Harrison. Yes,
5: sir. Go ahead, sir. I've
9: patched in the bridge speaker.
10: Colonel Harrison. Yes, Captain. We're standing by for takeoff in 30 seconds.
9: Good. Field's cleared of all personnel. We'll try to reestablish radio contact immediately after takeoff. In any event, there'll be a 24-hour ground monitor. Fine. Good
10: luck. Hope you make it. Thank you. Bridge to navigation control. I have control. Call you. Ready, Lieutenant. Is in the integrator for takeoff at twelve hundred hours. All right, stand by for blast off. Bridge to engine room. Fire up your rocket chambers. Take off at exactly twelve hundred hours. I'll read you off. Twenty seconds. Nineteen. Eighteen. Seventeen. Sixteen. Hold it! Revoke all orders. Who we'll turned in that alarm? Paulson, sir. We've uncovered a stowaway. Stowaway? Where?
9: Found
10: him. Have him brought up to the bridge <phone rings> Engine room, kill your rockets and stand by
9: Thorson, this is Colonel Harrison in ground control What's holding you up?
10: Trouble What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? There's a stowaway aboard Stowaway? Yes, I thought your men were supposed to police this base What's the oh, matter no, with Captain, you? Captain, take it easy You know what this delay can do to us, don't you? One minute later, takeoff can throw us a million miles off course We'll have to reintegrate the whole works Well, look, how long do you think it'll take Don't you to... bother for me for a while, I'm busy Stupid idiot Captain
9: Parsons. Awesome. Yes, come in, Smitty. Here's your story. Well, court Marshal... Oh, Charlie. Can you use a good radio man, Skipper? Well, I see you two have met. Met, Skipper. Me made fifty trips to the moon together, didn't we, Skipper?
10: Charlie, if you wanted to come along, why didn't you volunteer? I did,
9: Skipper. They, they turned me down.
10: Well, What's wrong with you?
9: Acceleration bends. They said my arteries wouldn't stand another trip.
10: I'm sorry to hear that.
9: But they're wrong, Skipper. I I got one more good trip in me. Listen, Skipper, you you, you know that these green kids, they don't know the first thing about space radio operation. Now, you, you put a man like me on and out. I'll be getting you bedtime stories from Mars.
10: Charlie, you know the regulations as well as I do. I can't take you much as I'd like to.
9: Colonel Harrison will murder me for this. Well,
10: I'm sorry, Charlie. I'll have you put aground. I'll tell you what, I'll ask Harrison to put you on his ground radio contact, and it'll seem as if you're right here with us. He won't do it, sir. Well, he'd better. I'll have him busted to corporal for letting you sneak aboard. Look, Charlie, you look, you better be off. Uh Paulison, Yes, sir. I'm sending this man aground. Give him time to clear the launching platform. Yes, sir. So long, Charlie. I'm I'm sorry.
9: Good luck, Skip.
8: <laughs> I thought you were going to have him drawn and quartered.
10: If it had been anyone else, I would have, Smitty. But Charlie, well, he's kind of special. He's been with me since my first command when we began the regular run to the moon. And if he wanted to come along this time, well, it's only through loyalty to me. You
8: know, Lewis, I didn't realize it before, but you're almost human.
10: Captain Dawson, nav control, Collier. Oh, yes, Lieutenant. Uh, How badly are we fouled up? Can you recalculate the course, or shall I cancel the takeoff? I've already plotted a new course on the integrator, sir. If we take off in exactly 30 seconds, we'll need to correct for only a one-degree deflection. I can do that before we breach the stratosphere. That's quick work. Are you sure? Yes, sir. Positive, sir. All right, Collier. I'm putting it in your hands. We'll blast off on your signal. Bridge to engine room. Prepare to blast off on navigator's signal. (gasps) How are we doing, Collier? Coming on the bearings, sir. That's four, three, two, zero. We've intersected the course vector. Good work, Collier. Course is corrected, sir. We're ready to go into atomic overdrive anytime you say. All right. Stand by. Yes, sir. Now hear this. Now hear this. Prepare for maximum acceleration. Bridge to engine room. Kill your rockets. Rockets out. Fire up number one cyclotron.
4: Number one ready.
10: Fire up number two.
9: Number two ready.
10: Withdraw your dampening rods. Go into overdrive at the count of zero. Three seconds, Mr. Collier. Three, two, two, one, one, zero, zero. one, zero. Zero. How are we doing, Collier? Of course, sir. She's running hot and true. My compliments, Lieutenant. This job would have done your father credit and he was the best navigation officer I ever saw. Oh, thank you, sir. Start your gyros. Put her on robot control. All right, the bridge is yours, Mr. Collier. If you need me, I'll be in Dr. Smithson's office. Yes, sir. Well, Lewis, I see you've got us off the ground. You can thank young Collier for that. Chip off the old block. Uh, You knew his father? As a matter of fact, I knew him very well. First-rate spaceman. Is he the one who... Yes, yes. He was lost in the galactic barrier on the second ship we sent out to Voldemort.
8: Lewis, just what do you think this galactic barrier is? Oh,
10: your guess is as good as mine, Doc. All I know is that five ships have gone into it, and none of them have come back out. You think it's a nit?
8: How about Mestrovic's theory that it's a time warp in space? That the ships reach it and slip into another dimension?
10: I think that's a lot of rubbish. My theory is that the galactic barrier is nothing more than a radioactive layer of some kind. Why do you say that? Well, we know that radar signals bounce off it like they were hitting an invisible glass wall. And we know that it destroys our ships and crews in some way. There's no other logical explanation. What makes you think we can get through it, Lewis? Because we're ready for it. The others weren't. The entire hull of this ship is completely shielded with lead. We can crack through any radioactive cloud ever detected. Besides, we're equipped with some new UHF radio devices that should enable us to maintain radio contact with Earth. Nothing can happen. Absolutely nothing. Now, who are you trying to convince? (laughs) Well, myself, I suppose.
8: Lewis, you've had your share of glory. First skipper to reach the moon back in 1962.
10: You could have retired. Why are you risking this trip? Five ships are missing. Men like Prentiss, Margitson, young Collier's father. I'm tired of seeing good men fed into that meat chopper. Then why are we going to Volta? We haven't any choice, Smitty. We're in a race, the kind of race where men and ships are expendable. According to the interspace code, the first nation to reach Volta can claim it. Well, personally, I want no part. Out, Doc. I'll have to play physician, morale
8: builder, and mother substitute for 112 slightly nervous men. And well, your morale
10: doesn't sound too good, Doc.
8: As morale officer, I can state without fear of contradiction it is terrible. And something tells me as we approach that galactic barrier, I'm not going to be alone. <laughs>
10: Captain Thorson of the Star Cloud calling Earth.
9: Hello, Star Cloud. Hi, Captain.
10: Charlie! Well, I see they haven't court-martialed you yet.
9: No, sir, thanks to you.
10: Well, it's good to hear you. You can read us the funny papers on Sunday morning. All right. Now, how's our signal? Strong.
9: Clear as a bell.
10: Now, here's our log report for Colonel Harris. you ready? Shoot. June 2nd, 1987, four weeks out from Earth, running true. no radiation, operation normal, still making our approach to the galactic barrier. That's all, Charlie. See you later. Good luck,
9: Captain. I sure wish I was with you.
8: How's the morale, Smitty? The men know we're getting closer to the barrier. They're beginning to show a little tension, Lewis.
10: Now, well, how's their physical condition? Any sickness?
8: About half the crew has come down with space blues. Ah,
10: I was afraid of that. Are they bad?
8: Same as usual. Lips and hands with a bluish cast. Eyes are sensitive to infrareds. I don't know.
10: When I first started flying these tin cans, nobody ever heard of space blues.
8: Well, now there's a theory it's caused by the terrific acceleration of atomic overdrive. Change in gravity affects the circulation. Hmm. What do you think? I think it's psychosomatic. I've noticed that the same men who get space blues under tension on a ship, tend to get blue coloration back on Earth when they're upset. I guess it's just an occupational disease of space now
10: uh-huh. You think it's just uh, nerves, then?
8: Well, young Collier's got a bad case. I, I think it's tension from overwork. Maybe he needs some vitamins. Lois, when will you realize that vitamins are not a panacea for all the troubles of mankind?
4: Sir,
10: I understand that you've relieved me from duty. Well, Dr. Smithson says you aren't looking very well, Collier. I'm giving you a rest. Sir, I feel perfectly able to continue. Your lips are as blue as Minnetonka. Captain, I'd like to remain at my post. Don't be foolhardy, Lieutenant. I'm not being foolhardy, sir. I have a special, personal reason for wanting this expedition to reach Volta. Your father... Yes, sir. You think he might still be alive? I have to find out what happened, sir. I. I, I think I understand. Very well, Collier. Report back to duty. What's the reading policy?
9: Uh, We're getting a plus five radar bounce now. Coming off the barrier almost as fast as we sent it out. What's the interval? Two seconds.
10: Shortening steadily. At this rate, we'll hit the wall in the next few minutes. All right. Alert the crew. Sound general quarters. Now, hear this. Condition red. We are now approaching the galactic
9: barrier. All hands to stations. All radiation detectors to be fully manned.
10: Full security will prevail until further notice. That is all. Uh, Paulison. Yes, sir? The radar bounces up to plus six. We'd better try to make final contact with Earth. Is Spark still trying to raise the base? Yes, sir, but he's not having much luck.
9: Huh? Seems to be some interference. Oh, that's the radio room now. Yes? You got him? Well, cut in on the bridge speaker. Captain will take it from here.
10: Hello? Star Cloud to Earth. Can you hear me,
9: Earth? Hello, Skipper. I can barely read you. We're
10: getting heavy static from Sunspot. That's not sunspots, Charlie. We're right on top of the galactic barrier. Getting a plus... no, a plus-seven radar bounce. Expect to hit the barrier almost any second now. Good luck, Skipper. If we crack the barrier and come through still in one piece, I'll try to get back to you on the high-frequency band. Gotcha,
9: Skipper. Don't worry. I'll
10: be waiting. So long, Charlie.
9: So long, Star Cloud.
10: Must be getting awfully close now, Captain. Echo's bouncing back so fast it's almost beating the signal. Well, when they go inside, hold on to your hat. That's when we run into the wall. Any second. Hold on. Well, here goes nothing. Here it comes. Captain. <laughs> nothing happened.
9: We, we made it.
10: We made it, Captain. No radiation, no time warp, no nothing. <laughs> now, the, the crew's gone crazy, sir. Let them. They've earned it. Doc, can you bring out a few bottles of snakebite serum for medicinal purposes? I sure can, Lord. This goes for a celebration. How's your morale now? It couldn't be better. How's yours? It couldn't be better. <laughs> Condition red.
9: Condition red. Radiation detected. Condition red. red. red.
10: Radiation detected. Holy mackerel. Look at the needle on that indicator. Paulison. Paulison. Yes, I see it, Captain picking radiation like crazy. What's it like? Well, it's a strong impulse. What kind? I don't know. It's too long for a cosmic ray, too short for UHF. Whatever it is, sir, the ship is lousy. We'll track it down, triangulate it, and make it fast. I want a directional fix. Yes, sir. Engine room? Yes, sir. We're picking up radioactivity. Is the fission chambers?
9: No leak here, sir. Check your gauges. Nothing here, Captain. Must be coming from outside.
10: Damage control. Is our lead shield leaking radiation? We'll keep at it. Paulison, how are you doing? I've got it fixed, Captain. Well, what is it? Well, I'll have to recheck my figures. I'll hurry it up. Angle is correct, but I. Oh, come I on, don't... man, for Pete's sake, where's the radiation coming from? Sir, it's. It's coming from inside the ship. Oh, that's impossible. No, sir, I've checked it twice. Well, it's got to be the engines, then. If it is, sir, we're finished. Engine room. Yes, sir. That radiation must be in the overdrive pile.
9: No, sir, it isn't here, sir.
10: Are you certain? Yes, sir. All right, keep checking. There's only one thing left to do. Paulison, get a Geiger counter. We're going to start combing this ship inch by inch. Yes, sir. All right, turn it on. Yes, sir. All right. Ready, Captain. We'll check the atomic guns first. Come on. We'll uh, cut through the officer's quarters here to ordnance. I'll turn here. Wait a minute, sir. Huh? What is it?
5: The signal's weaker now.
10: Yeah. Let's go back. Hold it. Hold it. Seems strongest right about here.
9: Oh, it doesn't make sense. Whose cabinet is this? Lieutenant Collier's. Collier? Oh, he's down in that control, sir.
10: Oh, I'll try the door. It's not locked, sir. Oh, it's in here, all right. Listen to that counter strongest over here. Open that wall cabinet. <laughs> it's locked, Oh, sir. smash it. Oh, shut off that Geiger counter. Now, what do you make of this, Paulson?
9: Well, it looks like some sort of portable transmitter, sir. must be foreign manufacture. I, I, I don't recognize the
10: calibration symbols at all. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. Which raises a small question. What is Lieutenant Collier doing with a transmitter in his cabin? I don't know, sir. Well, I intend to find out, Paulison. Get down to nav control and bring Collier up to the bridge on the double. Well, hadn't we better find some way to shut this thing off first? I know. A way? <laughs> Collier, I'm going to ask a few simple questions, and I want a few simple answers. Yes, sir. What were you doing with the transmitter in your cabin? Transmitter, Captain? Oh, you know nothing about it? No, sir, I don't. Do you recognize these calibration symbols? No, sir. Can you think of how it might have been placed in your cabin without your knowing it? No, sir, unless someone came in while I was on duty. Would that have been possible? I suppose so, if someone had a key. I found your cabin door unlocked. Well, I meant a key to the wall, Captain. I... I didn't say the wall cabinet. Well, I... Uh... You what, Lieutenant? How could you have known it was in the wall cabinet? Well, I just assumed, sir... Lieutenant Collier, I find it hard to believe you would lie, having known and respected your father, having observed the way you handle your job. However, I intend to get to the root of this thing. May I have your wristwatch, Lieutenant? Sir? Your wristwatch. Yes, sir. Paulison, turn on that Geiger collar. Yes, sir. Hold this watch next to it. Yes, sir. That's all. Lieutenant, if you hadn't any close contact with that transmitter, how do you explain the radioactivity of this watch? Well, I... I don't, sir. I think you'd better. To whom were you sending those signals?
9: Condition red! Condition red!
10: There's your answer, Captain. What is this, Collier?
9: Alien spaceship approach. Alien spaceship approaching!
10: Collier, who's aboard that ship? All right, now talk! Very well, Captain. My mission seems completed your mission. Are you admitting that you're an agent of a foreign power? I'm stating it's what nation no nation captain what I am an agent of the Voltan Government no. what the government of the planet of Volta go crazy. Are you so stupid captain? Did you think your people are the only ones who can invade another planet? What do you mean? We've had agents operating on earth since 1945 I don't believe you. What do you think happened to those five ships captain? Where do you suppose we got our information? Your language, your culture, family background. Uh, uh, Appearance, you you look like... Like Commander Collier? Well, is that so surprising, Captain? You see, Captain, we had a living model. I ought to kill you. That would be very foolish, Captain. I would advise you to surrender without delay. I'll deal with you later, Collier Paulison. Yes, sir. Put this man in irons, take him away. Don't worry, sir. We'll take good care of him.
9: Carpenter! Robinson.
10: Gunnery. Gunnery
9: Richardson. What's the range? 10,000 meters. They're closing fast.
10: Put your guns on radar tracking.
9: Tracking. Coming on the bearing.
10: Fire. Fire, Richardson! Richardson, did you hear me? Fire! What's the matter down there? Did you hear me? Richardson, answer me! It's no use to shout, Captain. Collier, how did you get loose? Where's Paulison? Lieutenant Paulison is dead. All stations! Lieutenant Collier has escaped! Seize him, men! Don't waste your breath. Your men can't hear you, Captain. What? Those still alive are my men. You're lying! No, Captain. Every ship that has ever left Earth was controlled by a Voltan crew. That's impossible! Those were hand-picked men! Handpicked picked by us. I don't believe you. No? Then why not call for help? Carpenter, Robinson, Haley, report! You see, Captain? Captain! Carpenter! Robinson! Haley! It's quite useless, Captain. I would advise you to sit very quietly and do nothing. Very well, Collier. You beat us. What now? The ship will be taken to Volta for... shall we say... further experimentation. I see. Of course, there's one thing you hadn't counted on. Just what is that, Captain? Reason! Carpenter! Are you in there, Lieutenant Carpenter? can't all be dead. There must be one alive. Smitty, Dr. Smithson! Smitty! Smitty, what have they done to him? Oh, Oh, dirty. I, uh, I don't talk. I
8: must lean... lean closer. There's not much time. Lewis, space blues...
10: Space blues? What is it, Smitty? What are you trying to tell it's me?
8: All men with space blues... Voltans...
10: Let me uh, help you. No,
8: Lewis, get message back to Earth. Voltan, fifth column. Watch out for... Space? Oh, Oh, Smitty. Smitty. Captain Thorson. Captain Thorson, you, you can't hide from us from now. Come back to the, the bridge and
10: surrender. Or my All men my will, will come and get you. you. Hello. Hello. Starcloud calling Earth. Oh, please God, let me get through before it's too late. Hello, Starclad to Earth. Come in, please. Come in, please. Hello. Hello, Starclad to Earth. Captain Thorson calling. Charlie, come in, please. Hurry. Hello. Oh, hello. Can you hear me, Charlie?
9: Skipper, is that you? Are you
10: getting my signal?
9: It's coming in a little louder now, Skip. Keep sending. I-
10: God. Now look, Charlie, listen to me. Not much time. Get word to Colonel Harrison. Crew mutinied. Most of crew members, Fultons. What? Fultons. Spell that. V-O-L. Fultons. That's right. They're from the planet Volta. Skipper. Skipper, are you all right? Now, Charlie, this is serious. They'll be here any second. Now listen, they have a fifth column on Earth. They're planning to invade you. You mean it? Of course I mean it. Tell Harrison... Posing as humans. You can detect them by
9: space blues. You got that? Only Voltons get space blue. Charlie,
10: did you hear me? Space blue. I get you. Come in Charlie. I'm depending on you. Warn everybody. Captain. They, they've opened the door. So long, Charlie. Tell her. Ah, Captain. Ah,
9: ah, ah, Captain Thorson. Hello. Hello, Star Cloud. What's the trouble, Sergeant? I was just trying to raise a Star Cloud, Colonel. Did I had any luck? No, sir. No contact. No contact, eh? No, sir. Nearly an hour since they hit the Galactic Barrier. I don't understand why they haven't tried to get a message back. No, sir. Neither do I. Oh, all right. I'll take over for a while. Yes, you You do that, sir. It's all yours. Right. Oh, and Charlie, uh, you better go out and get yourself some coffee. You look a little blue around the gills.
5: X minus one has brought you "No Contact," written by George Lefferts from an original story of Lefferts and Ernest Kinnoy. <laughs> Featured in the cast were Louis Van Ruten as Captain, Donald Buca as Collier, Wendell Holmes as Charlie, and Bill Griffiths, Bill Smith, Matt Crowley, and Ken Williams. Your announcer, Don Pardo. X minus one was directed by Fred Way and is a transcribed NBC Radio Network production. And now, next week. When you want to take over a world, you naturally look for its weak point. Some way to catch its people off guard. We live in a world where everybody loves a parade. A world of press agents and publicity stunts. But who would ever dream that invaders from outer space would take advantage of that weakness and actually hire a press agent to advertise their coming? Who would believe it was anything but just another publicity gag? at least not until the terrible moment when it was already too late
1: okay folks i hope y'all i hope you enjoyed that i didn't like the way it ended but
0: <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> i think i know where 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 um <laughs> I, I, I think I know where Captain Kirk got his acting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, it, it it sounded like he was high on something. Yeah,
2: something.
0: <laughs> I don't know. And it was funny they used the car horn.
1: <laughs> Ooh, go go!
0: <laughs> but the interesting stuff is that I mean they this this story came out in. In
1: 1955 yeah and then uh <laughs> but they were doing 1987
0: <laughs> no but it's not that I mean oh, 1955 yeah. and we haven't even gone to the moon at this point
1: oh no uh-uh.
0: so uh, but
1: see that's what I was thinking and and you know we hadn't even gone to the moon in there
0: <laughs> and and they're already 19... dreaming it up yeah yeah uh-huh. it's amazing but uh it's yeah it's really amazing. Uh, But it's like a foreshadow of things to come.
1: And uh, probably in 1955, people didn't really think we would get there to the moon. Uh,
0: Yeah, you're right. And that is something to think about. I think we should do the uh, The second one.
1: one. Yeah. Or the third one now. Third one, yeah. And... um, Folks, I should have said this in the beginning, but I forgot to do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you like what you hear, leave us a comment on uh, YouTube or any of your favorite podcasts or uh, your podcast players. I mean, Um, uh, we're on following uh, radio programs and um
0: oops (laughs) sorry about that
1: how rude i know (laughs) and i was going so smoothly uh but anyway uh if you like what you hear um come give leave us a comment on you know whatever your favorite podcast place is uh we're on all of them and um leave us a comment on facebook or or twitter or wherever Um, Twitter, he's at blind who's. And, uh, if you want to send us an email, send it to, um, whose blind life is it anyway at gmail.com. Boy, what a mouthful. I get tangled around that every week. Um, but the next thing I've got going, um, I thought older people would like this. Well, I, I love it because I'm a country hick and um, I don't apologize for that, but I am. <laughs> um, but it, it's Lum and Abner and, you know, it's about two men and um, they're, they run this store called the jotham down store, but they're always trying to get into some kind of venture. Um, and, and these are Hicks. I, yeah, the, <laughs> these are the, these make me sound cityfied. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> and, and, and folks, I have had an education for real. Uh, oh my goodness, yeah. But every time I hear myself on one of these recordings, I think, "Oh my goodness." <laughs> <laughs> and, and um but Blum and Abner started in uh, 1931 and went to 1954. And the interesting thing, you know, I drew a blank on their names. I looked them up this morning and um, I I just lost it. Um, I think because I've had so many um, recording issues today. I'm not going to do this on my iPhone ever again. <laughs> not when i have to stop well, i mean
0: while you're talking i'll look up the information if you'd like
1: yeah okay please and thank you i knew i had him for some reason um he's a good it man and uh uh let's see um but anyway uh the the interesting part about these guys is that they did many all the characters themselves, um, the guy who played Lum Edwards, uh, he um, he did um, several of the characters, and then the guy who played Abner Peabody, he did several of the characters, and so it was just um, the, the both the two men. Doing all the characters in the show.
0: I got it. Uh, Chester Lauk and
1: actually, I think. Norris Goff. I think that's pronounced Locke. L-A-U. It's spelled L-A-U.
0: Yeah, L-A-U-C-K.
1: Yeah, Locke, like Paul being A-U.
0: Oh, I, okay.
1: I, I, think it, I think it is Locke. Um, well, I
0: just know that, that apparently the two were frat boys in, uh, uh, frat brothers in at the University of Alabama. Go
1: Bama! <laughs> <laughs> Go my ear. <laughs> but uh, um, did, you, did you hear what I told them about uh, how they did all of the parts themselves?
0: Uh well, some of the parts, yeah.
1: No, they did all of the parts until later on. Grand, uh, they had a guy came in who played grandpa, but for a while they played grandpa and everybody.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah, really. Well, that's talent. And I mean, man, you uh, to me, you that that those are two talented hicks.
0: Yeah. And well, I mean, a the, lot of people have that kind of talent, you know. I mean look at look at uh, Mel Blanc who did all those voices for yeah. uh, Looney Tunes.
1: Oh yeah. And and uh you know I'm just saying you know those those two Hicks had they had talent. <laughs> but um can't say this one does but you know those two sure did. But anyway, uh But they're always, you know, and 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 Lum, Lum he's he's the straight guy, and uh, uh, Abner, he's the one that you know, kind of always gets, um, he's the comical, dumb one, and uh, Lum is the straight one. And the, the the thing about Lum, though, he tries to appear smarter than he is. He's really not much smarter than poor old Abner, but he, he Ironically he, as it he, is, yeah. He, yeah. But uh anyway, hope y'all enjoyed the the first one. It's um it's the, it's where they've they purchased an oil well and uh well they found out they had oil on their property and uh they're about to sell it, but then they find out Squire Skimp, who is the crook. In Pine Ridge, um, he has dealings with it, so they know they're in trouble now. So, anyway, sit back and enjoy both of these two. And um,
0: you know what? I don't get what the fact that they use music from soap operas.
1: Well, because what happened? What what they were? They were a little fifteen minute. Um, they were like a running soap. I think uh-huh. they ran every weekday.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow! Still, I mean, I, I I just thought, okay, well, now we're gonna hear romance and stuff, or or I wasn't sure what I was gonna hear when I first started listening to it. <laughs> and I knew you
1: were gonna have that reaction too. <laughs> so I knew I could bank on it.
0: Yeah. Uh huh. Well, I hope you guys enjoy it.
1: We'll see if we can't dig you up some romance a little later.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: (laughs) Anyway, let's give a listen.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
7: Everybody, here we are all ready to take you down to Pine Ridge for another visit with Lum and Abner. Brought to you by the makers of Horlick's, the original malted milk. Folks, when you go downtown shopping or when motoring or hunting, take a flask of Horlick's malted milk tablets along with you. There's nothing like them for helping ward off fatigue or hunger. When you begin to feel tired or feel hungry, just dissolve a few of these delicious tablets in your mouth. They'll nourish you while you work keep you going at top speed when you aren't able to eat on time. Children love Horlick's malted milk tablets. They can easily carry a supply to school with them. You can get Horlick's malted milk tablets, you know, in either natural or chocolate flavor, either in the small, conveniently carried 10 cents size flask or in larger sizes. And now, let's get ready for Lum and Abner. Well, yesterday... A Mr. Carter, representing the Southwest Oil Company, arrived in Pine Ridge to negotiate for the oil well that Lum and Abner recently drilled. He seemed very much interested in buying their holdings. And as we left them last night, Mr. Carter and Lum were in conference over the matter. As we look in on our old friends today, we find Lum and Abner down at their newly completed office. Evidently, an agreement has been reached, but the deal hasn't been closed.
6: Listen...
11: And now, what is it that he's going to give us besides
6: that $3,000, a uh, Royalty.
11: You, you mean he's going to make a king out of you?
6: No. Royalty in the oil business, Abner, means that we'll get so much on every barrel of oil they get off of that land over there. Uh-huh. we get $3,000 cash money and 10 cents on every barrel it's sold.
11: Yeah, well, out of heat brother, long, we just sold a whole shebang for cash
6: to start with. and Get out of all oil, Benny. Well, we'll be out of it. We won't have a thing to do with it. We won't have no say or nothing. All we got to do is sit back and get a check from them every month, or whatever is coming to us, without even turning a hand. Well,
11: uh, how much
6: are we going to get every month, though? Well, yeah, that depends on how much oil they get. Yeah.
11: They're
6: going to clean the well we dug out good and put casings and stuff. Put in, pot in it? Casings.
11: Uh, you mean automobile
6: station no, cars? No, no, I don't know what it is, but that's what he said. I know it ain't automobile station though. Yeah. Says he believes it'll run two or 3,000 barrels a day, then.
11: Well, how much will that come to
6: for us? Well, if it runs 2,000 barrels a day, and he says it'll do that easy, that'll be uh, $200 a day we'll make out of it. $200 a day?
11: That's
6: what he says. And on top of that, they're going to drill some more wells over there. So they're just going to drill all over that five acres. We'll get ten cents on every barrel that's pumped out of there regardless. Well, okay,
11: that does sound pretty good, don't
6: it? Mm, it sounded awful good to me. <laughs> if they drill five more wells over there, say, and they're as big as that and we got over there now,
11: yeah.
6: that'll be uh, $1,200 a day we'll get out of it.
11: Well,
6: $1,200. $400 piece for me and you and Grandpa. i done figured that up. For the land sake. And we don't even have to be here. We can go off and vacate ourselves, go anywhere. Yeah. Just let them know where to send a check to, and here it'll come every month. <laughs> that's what I call making your brain work for you.
11: Yeah, well, now, uh, that's sounding better, all right. Yeah. When you said that all the cash we got out out was $3,000, well... <laughs> I thought you'd let him give you a skinny.
6: <laughs> me? Yeah. yeah don't you ever worry about nobody giving me a skinny?
11: I bet old Grandpapa be tickled. <laughs> he didn't much want to sign that agreement yesterday to give you full authority to sell a
6: company. <laughs> no, I can tell that. No, no, he
11: didn't.
6: But that fella Carter said that's the only way he'd do business.
11: Yeah.
6: He told me he's just working for the Southwest Oil Company. He don't own none of it. He
11: don't, huh? No.
6: He's just representing the president. That's what I they get, you know, somebody to represent. That's right. I ain't crediting or nothing now.
11: No.
6: I'm a retard capital.
11: Well, I don't know what I am, but I'm through working, I know that. I've hit my last hat. Mama. Oh, yeah,
6: yeah. I don't aim to ever turn another hand long as it is. No. <laughs> you,
11: know,
6: you see that piece of paper there on the program? Yeah? I wouldn't even put myself to the bother of bending over and picking that thing. up just ten dollars. <laughs> That's just how deep in it I am. <laughs> I
11: wouldn't pick it up for
6: $100. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, uh, is it? Oh, just a scrap of paper somewhere. Oh. Uh, no. Oh, that's that paper. I figure figuring out how, how much money we are going to make on oh, here. Yeah, I'm All sure right. that's it. Here, here. I just want to show you. If they drill a hundred wells over there, I've got it up to a thousand, but if oh, they yeah. drill a hundred wells over there and get 2,000 barrels out of every one of them, that's 200,000 barrels. And we get ten cents a barrel.
11: For the land,
6: sir. And that up. No, I never finished that. Oh, that's too much bother. anyhow Have a cigar, Emma. We can smoke these things all we want to. <laughs>
11: hello we can take life easy now, huh? Just sat around and eat.
6: Yeah.
11: <laughs> so, that reminds me, too, I'm going to hire somebody to do the cooking over at the place while Elizabeth is gone. I'm just about a half starved myself to death here lately. <laughs> trying to cook my own grub and, and eat it.
6: <laughs> I ain't going to hire no crook. I'm going to start eating down at the hotel.
11: At the hotel? Yeah. No, I'm just a good mind to do that with you, long. Ah, right, now, we might start eating over at Sister Simpson's. I believe she sets a better boy.
6: Yeah, it's a good idea. I never thought about that. Evelina eats there, too.
11: <laughs> yeah, well, now, that will be nice for you. You can just sit there and eat and spark Evelina. <laughs> yeah, why didn't I
6: think about that before? Yeah. And I believe I'll just call Sister Simpson up and tell her we'll be over there for supper. Yeah, that's
11: your time. Just telephone her up. Tell her to have some fried chicken, hot biscuits, black eyed peas, gravy, and, and mashed potatoes. I'll
6: fix up. Hello? I, I could eat for all Sister Simpson. Eat. Uh, this is Mom Edwards. Yes, Mom. Uh what are you gonna have for supper tonight?
11: As to what
6: kind of pie she's going to have, my I do. Well, uh, it is some of my business. I ain't getting inquisitive. Me and Abner sort of thinking about coming over and eating with you tonight.
11: Yeah, think
6: about it. I'm coming. I'll be there.
11: Yes, Mom. Sure, so we aim to
6: more. pay for <laughs> spare ribs and backbone and fish, huh?
11: Fish.
6: Hey. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, me and Abner coming over there to eat tonight then.
11: Yeah. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. Tell her lots
6: of it. And, Sister Simpson, I just wonder if you couldn't sort of put me and Abner and Evelina over to the table by ourselves. Listen
11: up there. We to get close
6: to Evelina. Yes, ma'am. One of them big tables if you still got some of them. <laughs>
11: Stack it high. Put sideboards
6: on it. All right. Yes, ma'am. I know. Six o'clock. Yes, ma'am. All right. Goodbye. You never asked her what she charges, Long. I don't care what she charges. I'll get my money's worth. As <laughs> long as I am now. <laughs> we don't have to worry about expenses now, no way.
11: Oh, no, Lord! I don't care if she charges 50 cents. I feel like
6: celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> I might take Evelina into the county seat to a picture show tonight, too. Yeah, I'll go with
11: you. Wait till
6: she hears about this deal.
11: I'm
6: yeah, with. somebody at the door.
11: There, long, I'm yeah. I'm mean, like
6: Mr. Carter's back with them papers. Yeah, yeah. Come in, come in. Come in. Well, howdy, Dick. Oh, come in, Dick. <laughs> yeah. I just run over and see if you've made a deal with that fellow on
11: the oil well here. Well, we made a deal, Dick, but we ain't closed it yet. Oh, I made a deal with him.
6: to where none of us will ever have to do another day's work. Well, yeah, sure did. I got a $3,000 in cash and a royalty of 10 cents a barrel on all the oil they get out of the ground over there.
11: And they're going to drill a hundred more wells.
6: Well, we don't know just how many they're going to drill that. How does that sound, Dick? Well, all right, Mum. I don't know what you made a good deal. Of course, it'll depend on how much oil you get out of that well. Yeah. Well, he says he believes when they get their well cleaned out good, it'll run at least 2,000 barrels a day. Well, I
11: wouldn't be surprised. There must be a lot of it there. You wouldn't have struck it that close to the top of the ground. That's what i
6: figured.
11: Yes, sir, don't know what you made a
6: good deal on. Uh, what's holding it up? You said you hadn't closed it yet. Oh, I've got the deed all made out to them, laying right here. But I want them to sign a paper relieving us any responsibilities in the company. Yeah. Sort of like that and Squire Stemp made us sign when he, we bought that land off of him a while there.
11: Yeah. Uh-huh.
6: Fact is, I copied it right off of that and Squire got us to sign you seen it. We agree to uh, some all the debts and obligations here before and here and after made by the fine Ridge oil company and stuff like
11: that. Uh, you mean uh, that they're going to pay for all those barrels and the drilling of the well and all that? No, no, we'll
6: have to pay for that, but uh, if anything comes up later that we don't know about now, they can't hold us responsibility to money. Yeah, well, that's, that's a good idea, then. That's good business. Uh, when's he going to know about it? Well, he said he'd uh, have to get authority before he could make a deal like that. I reckon he had to telephone the Southwest Oil Company about it. Yeah, I see
11: well, you fellas are mighty lucky.
6: And I'm glad for you, too. Well, thank you, Dick. I just wish you'd have been in with us on it. Love to see you get rich, too. <laughs>
11: well, I'm sorry, now, I didn't go in with you when you fellas gave me a chance, Mom, but I can't blame anybody but myself. But, now, if this boon keeps on, well, I'm making pretty good money down there at my store well, now. that's good. Yeah, hey, we'll do our trading down there from here out, Dick. Won't argue about the price, neither. Wait a minute,
6: wait a minute. Somebody at the door.
11: Come in. Come in.
6: Well, back already. Yeah,
11: come here, Mr. Carter. Yes, I think we're all ready to close the deal now, gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Carter, shake hands with Dick Huddleston. How do you do,
6: Mr. Huddleston? Glad to know you. I'm glad to know you, Mr. Carter. Well, you gentlemen won't talk business. I'll get on out of here. Though. No, that's all right, Dick. Deal's all made. Well, I've is. got
11: to get back to the store anyway, Lum. I'll see you after a while. All right? right, Dick. Yeah, here,
6: sit down, Mr. Carter. Take yes, my turn. thank you. You say, uh, that was all right with them to sign the dream in? Yeah. Yes, no trouble at all. And uh, if you have the deed ready, I'm ready to turn the draft over to you now. Well,
11: I'll... give it time. All
6: right, here's the deed, all made out. That's yours. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the royalty contract where we agree to pay you gentlemen ten cents on every barrel of oil produced on that particular five acres. Yeah. And here's the draft for $3,000. That's what I want to pay Now, that uh, agreement relieving us any responsibility. Yes, here it is, all signed by the president of our company. Signed. Now, Granny, how'd you get it signed so quick? Yeah.
11: Well,
6: the president of our company lives right here in Pine Ridge.
11: Why I thought the Southwest Oil Company was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. No, no, I'm from Tulsa, but the
6: company's here in Pine Ridge. Mr. M.K. Skimp is our president. Maybe you gentlemen know him. M.K.
11: Skimp?
6: Well, I'll be dead blame. That's Squire Skimp.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you know about that? If Squire Skimp can't get a thing one way, he will another. And now, folks, let's pay a short visit to the Barker home. As we look in on the scene, we find Mrs. Barker at the telephone, talking to her husband.
11: Jim, I'm sorry to disturb you, dear, but I've got some great news
7: for you. Your dad and mother are in town. Yes, they are. Came in unexpectedly this morning. Your dad's on his way up to the house now. He'll be here any minute. Isn't it grand? They may go back tonight, but they'll be here for dinner. There's a front doorbell. That's probably dad now. Hurry home tonight, won't you, dear? Goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.
3: Dad, oh, I'm
11: so
7: glad to see you. <laughs> Not half as glad as I am to see you. How are you? Just fine. Here, let me take your thing. Oh, I'll just leave them on the chair. Did I surprise you? You certainly did. What are you two doing up in this part of the country? Oh, well, I had to come up on business, thought I'd drop in and say you and Jim a visit. are <laughs>
3: I welcome? You bet you are.
6: <laughs> this is a real treat. How's that fine baby granddaughter of mine?
7: Oh, just splendid. I was quite worried for a time, you know. Her food didn't seem to agree with her at all. But when I called in our family doctor, and he recommended Horlick's Malted Milk, and from the very first feeding, the baby started to gain, and our problem was solved.
6: You did just the right thing, my dear. Do you know we've always felt that it's Horlick's that saved your husband's life when he was a baby? He'd been losing weight steadily, and finally was so thin, we feared we were going to lose him. Then our doctor recommended that we try a weak solution of Horlick's Malted Milk. Say, we were happy beyond words when we found that little boy began to perk up at once. It wasn't long then until we had a normal, healthy baby again. No wonder that I feel you're giving your little girl a good start in following her daddy's example.
7: And, folks, there are thousands of families who have had similar experiences with Horlick's malted milk. Horlick's is a wonderfully nourishing infant food. And the easy digestibility of Horlick's makes it a food that delicate and tiny stomachs can easily handle. For youngsters, too, Horlicks is a great food drink. It will help your children to develop sturdy, healthy bodies, sound bones, and good teeth. This is Carlton Brickert, speaking for Lum and Abner and Horlicks, who now bid you all good night and good health. We'll be with you all again Monday night at this same time.
1: won't be the first time and it won't be the last time those guys try to get rich
0: (laughs) (laughs) i have to say i have to say i can barely understand them that's how bad their accent is
1: oh (laughs) well yeah they they kind of they talk like real country people
0: is are you saying that's an actual accent? I mean, people actually uh, talk like that down there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they do. Wow. I mean, wow. I, was, I was raised that way, but I've been cityfied for so long now that that I talk a little different. Uh but like uh you know, his name is Lom Edwards, but he always says Lum Edders.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: and i i
0: also found out cuz uh, folks um monica and i were discussing this before because she had said that this was a daily broadcast um however i looked at the air dates and the air yeah. dates for this one was uh january 4th 1935 and the one right after was january 7th 1935 and <laughs> I just asked Alexa. Apparently, January 4th was on a Friday back in 1935. And that's why there's that gap between episodes.
1: Yeah, because it's a Friday and then a Monday.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: Aren't you smart? I mean, I well, no, <laughs>
0: I'm not smart. The bitch is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't want to use her name right now because I don't want to wake her up. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah. I got one of those over here too
0: (laughs) exactly that's why I didn't want to say her name
1: (laughs) well now here comes the second one and uh, now they're going to deal with Squire Skimp and so let's see what happens here
0: Yeah, we should uh, see how they handle that guy.
7: take you down to Pine Ridge for another visit with Lum and Abner, brought to you by the makers of Horlick's, the original malted milk. Because it is so nourishing and energy-giving, and because it is so easy to digest, a glass of Horlick's malted milk is a fine noonday luncheon. Delicious and refreshing, Horlick's at noon will keep you alert later. It won't leave you feeling drowsy, as a heavy meal so often does. And here's another thing about the Horlick's luncheon. It doesn't have the excess of calories that a heavy meal has. That's why it's such a fine weight-control lunch for overweight people. You can make a glass full of Horlicks quickly and easily, either at home or at your work. Mixed with water alone, Horlicks is an easily digested, energy-giving drink. Use sufficient of the powder and mix well to bring out the delicious flavor and aroma. You needn't add any flavoring or any raw milk unless you desire it. Try the Horlick luncheon tomorrow noon. You can get Horlicks, you know, in either natural or chocolate flavor. And now, let's get ready for Lum and Abner. Well, the Pine Ridge Oil Company is no more. Lum and Abner and Grandpappy Spears sold their holdings to the Southwest Oil Company for $3,000 cash and a royalty of 10 cents per barrel on all the oil produced on the property. Well, after the deal was completed, they found that they had been the victims of another Squire Skimp scheme, as the Squire himself is the president of the Southwest Oil Company. And the Mr. Carter, with whom they were dealing, was only one of his henchmen. (laughs) Well, as we look in on Pine Ridge today, Squire Skimp has already taken full charge of the oil business. And so we find Lum and Abner over at Lum's house explaining the transaction to their old friend, Dick Huddleston.
11: If there's any way for you to make him trade back. You've already delivered the deed to
6: him. Yeah, but we give him the deed before we found out Squire was the president of the company.
11: Yeah, we thought the Southwest Oil Company was the outfit in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know that telegram we got saying for us not to sell our property until the represent got you. That was from Tulsa.
6: Oh yeah, this fellow Carter's that come down here and made the deal with us. Uh, he's from Tulsa. Yeah, that's it. Squire just hired him to come out here and make the deal because he knows we wouldn't sell it to him. Yeah, well, I wouldn't worry about it, fellas. Doesn't make any difference who owns it. You got the $3,000 that he paid you in cash, and if you get your ten cents a barrel royalty, well, you'll make just as much out of it this way as you would if you'd sold it to anybody else. Yeah, if we get the royalty. Yeah.
11: That's
6: what I'm feared. That was quite a skimp, I had me. Mean. I wouldn't trust that fellow no further than I can go to find.
11: Man, we'll just have to set over there by the oil well, and every time they haul a barrel of oil off the place, just put it down on the little
6: book. Yeah, we can keep up with it that way, all right. Well, the thing to do is
11: just have an auditor go in there once a month. Yeah, I could
6: do
11: that.
6: Huh? Uh, have a who go in there once a month? An auditor. What's that? What's that? <laughs> Ain't you never rode on a train, Abner? You don't mean to say you're going to run a train in there once a month? Oh, no, Abner, an auditor. Only way you're going to
11: run him in there. Yeah, a fella goes in there and audits the
6: books once a month, Abner. Yeah, a fella goes in there and audits the books once a month, Abner. Er, yeah. Sees that they're keeping things right. Yeah, sees that they're keeping things right. Tells them they ought to do this and they ought to do that, an <laughs> auditor. That's a good idea. I'm glad I thought of that. And so he better uh, have to sit over and count every barrel at the whole off. I've been wondering how I could vacate myself and sit over there and count them barrels at the same time.
11: Well, now, if you just want to lay around and rest, why, you could get yourself a hammock and just sort of lay over there and rest and count barrel too huh?
6: <laughs> yeah, and I'd about get to counting them barrels and count myself right off to sleep. <laughs> like counting sheep. <laughs> Yeah, that's that four or five hundred barrel slipped by me before I noticed. Yeah,
11: well, of course, you could hire somebody to keep you
6: awake. Know well, me, if I was going to hire somebody to keep me awake, might as well have them count the barrels.
11: Yeah. Well, sure, that's the thing to do. Yeah, just let them count the barrels,
6: and then you can lay there in a the hammock and sleep all day, vacate yourself. Yeah, it'd be a fine vacation. <laughs> it'd be a lot of fun. Lay out in a hammock all day by well right here in the dead of winter and try to sleep.
11: Well, of course, everybody to their own notion. I know I wouldn't enjoy it, but if he wants to do it, well, it ain't no business of mine. But I'll tell you now, Lom, I'd be awful careful about who you get to count them barrels. First thing you know, he about count himself off the to sleeve, too. Oh,
6: for goodness <laughs> sake,
11: Bell. of course you could hire somebody to keep him away, but you well, know, he's at, it just ain't no place. He'd have to get somebody to keep him away. Then he'd have to well, get somebody Abner, to keep him don't
6: away. worry about it. Dick <laughs> just said we wouldn't have to count them ourselves. We'll get a... Get a... What would you call them things, Dick? Train. <laughs> oh, auditors, Abner. Oh, yeah. I know there's train in there someplace. Abner, auditors, works on trains. You saw them going up and down the aisle. Got their names rolled right on them. Up there on the camp.
11: Oh, you mean the fella that runs the store there on the train?
6: <laughs> Does what, Abner?
11: Run their store. You know, sells sody pop and peanuts and apples
6: and postcards and all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> News is what he means, to <laughs> of <laughs> Auditor tells the engineer what he orders to do and what he ought not to do. Tells him when to stop and stuff like that. Well, uh, kind of an auditor I'm talking about, though, is an accountant, loan, expert accountant, bookkeeper. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure.
11: Well, which?
6: Which what?
11: Which one of them are we going to get?
6: I believe we better have the bookkeeper, Dave. That way I can help him. Well, it'll cost you a little something, but it'll be money well spent, especially with Squire Skimp in there. They drilled some more wells over there, like you say. Well, you fellas have a nice income off that property. Oh, right?
2: yeah.
6: Yeah, me and Abner and Grandbap is dependent for the rest of our lives, you Yeah. Right?
2: yeah.
6: I'd have guessed Drugger would have been somebody else besides Squire Skimp we were going to have to deal with. That is, if I had my Drugger. Oh, well, if you keep a close watch on him, Lum, it'll turn out all right. I wouldn't worry about it.
11: Yeah, what makes me so dead blame mad letting him put it over on us that way. Looks like every way we turn, we get mixed up with Squire Skimp in spite of all we can do. Yeah,
6: I'm sure glad we made him sign that agreement saying they'd resume all the responsibilities of the company. <laughs> if he bankrupts up the thing or something like that, I don't want him coming back to us for part of the money. Yeah, well, it's a good thing to and him sending all right.
11: Yeah, y'all got some up out there now, I'm just coming through the gate. Yeah, yeah, well,
6: we can go ahead with the meeting. Now. Well, you fella, if you fellas be wanting
11: to talk business, I better get on back over. All right, the don't,
6: there. No, don't rush off, Dick. We ain't gonna talk no secrets. No. I just thought we better have a meeting of the stockholders and figure out how much we owe and then divide the rest of the three thousand dollars up
11: quickster. Yeah, I'm anxious to get my part of that too. And for Elizabeth and Pearl. We've been so hard pushed for cash, I just had to Leave them down there in Texas be a bit in
6: some relay till we can get some money out of this oil well. I bet you're getting
11: pretty lonesome for them, too, aren't not Oh, my, yes. I've just been going around like a chicken with his head cut off.
6: Well, uh, you fellas now going to have a lot of time loaf
11: now. You sold your oil well and everything. Why, come down in the store and see me. Come in, Grandpa. Yeah, hurry, man. Howdy. <laughs> well, hello, Grandpa. Yeah. How are you, Richard? Well, all right, fine.
6: Well, I'm going to have to just tell me about the deal he made. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good trade, Lum, mate, I think. Yeah, sure was. Well, I'll see him later, then. Yeah. So long. Sit down, Grandpa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scat, Scat, get out of there. Yeah, let Grandpa have the care there, Geraldine. You better get on back there and see them kittens of yours. you will be getting lonesome for you. Come down. There's a saucer of milk sitting under the safe (laughs) back there in the kitchen, Brush.
11: I swan, Long, you talk to that cat just like she was a human.
6: Oh, she's smart as most humans. Yeah. <laughs> Understands anything I tell her. <laughs> well, uh, we better get the meeting started, I reckon.
11: Yeah. Yeah, let's get yeah. it over with. I never seen no use to have a meeting nowhere. Why, of
6: course not. Well, uh, <clears throat> meeting is called order then. Secretary, read the minutes of the letter. Now, last
11: Long, time. let's don't get into all that stuff. Let's get the meeting over with.
6: All right. Well, we gotta have a treasury report. Uh,
11: who is the treasurer?
6: That's right. Well, we got all the bills here. I can read them. Yeah, go ahead. How much do they come to,
11: Ron? What what they all amount to? Really? Well,
6: I ain't figured them up yet. Uh, Grandpap, take that pencil and paper there and set these figures down when I call them out. we got to add them up. All right, let's have
11: them now.
6: Well, uh, first I think we ought to stand and give a rising vote of thanks to the chairman of the board for making such an uncommonly good deal for us.
11: Oh, Norm, we'll be here all night to start that kind of stuff. Let's get that money divided up. Well,
6: Abner, we can't just jump right out in the middle of it. Well, I've never seen a feller as missionary over money as you are in my life. Money ain't everything, you know. Well,
11: yeah, maybe not, but it comes mighty close to being.
6: I'll say that. All right, I'll stand up and give a rising vote of thanks myself. The harp strings of memory strikes a tender chord as I stand here Now, long as you don't jack you... that
11: up, now, me and Grandpa both is going to get right up and walk right out of here right now. All
6: right. You don't want things run the way they ought to be. We'll just illuminate that part of it. Well, let's get started. Here's the figures, Grandpap. You put them down. It's all day here over
11: nothing.
6: Lumber for building the office and Derek derrick on the oil well, uh... Three hundred and seventy three dollars. And while I'm on my feet, I might mention that I happen to know that the chairman of the board talked Walter Bates down five dollars on that bill. And dog as
11: body never know it. It don't sound like it'd been cut down.
6: Quit interrupting, Abner.
11: Yeah, let them get done. Go ahead.
6: Uh Caleb We hunt for drilling the well, uh, fifty dollars.
11: Yeah, that's
6: right. And he's worked every day since then. That is he's worked night and day. and uh, his time runs to uh ninety-six dollars. Uh-huh. And Cedric's time amounts to, uh, $34. Too
11: much
6: for Cedric. Now, here's a bill for, uh, all the barrels that, uh, we bought in at the county seat.
11: Yeah, put the oil in over
6: uh, hardware company. Four hundred and fifty-six barrels at, uh, $3.70 apiece Comes to $1,687.20.
11: Well, the land sakes.
6: Well, Abner, we've had to have
11: them. I don't care. It's too much
6: money. furniture for the new office $265.00.
11: All for you, too. I aim
6: to take that back after we're sold out, but Squire claims it went with the deal. Why, of course he
11: would. Yeah, depend on him.
6: Now, here's a bill from Dick Huddleston for $40. $40? $40. For well, that's for that wire to pinch off the ground over there keep folks away from the well. Oh, oh yeah,
11: that's money well
6: And uh, here's a kid who turned in a statement of the labor charges over there for the crew. And uh, he says they're getting impatient wanting their money, too. That's all right. The whole thing amounts to $492.80. Yeah, that's or would Add that up, grandpap I think that gives everything. We can all three go into the bank tomorrow and cash this check and pay off these bills, and then divide what's left up three ways, quick
11: Yeah, that's the <laughs> thing to do. And then I can go right straight to the post office and send Elizabeth the money order and get her pearl back home. Man, yeah. that totals uh, three thousand and thirty dollars.
6: Three thousand? Huh? Wait a minute. Let me look at that. According to that, we owe ten dollars each. on oh, doubt there must be some mistake about that. <laughs>
7: Well, so far, it looks like everybody in Pine Ridge has benefited by the discovery of that oil well except the members of the Pine Ridge Oil Company. Mr. and Mrs. Baldwin have spent the evening visiting friends. They're on their way home now. Let's listen to them as they walk along talking.
11: Did you have a nice time, Tom? (laughs) fine. The fishes are lots of fun, aren't they?
10: You bet, Mister Fisher, especially. Oh, Bert's kind of a bore,
11: always talking about himself. Uh Uh-huh. Seems to me you were doing a bit of that yourself tonight. Who,
6: me? Hey, I didn't have a chance. Every time I started, Bert interrupted me.
11: I think Bert's very interesting, much more so than Martha
6: Fisher.
11: Bert, interesting? That's funny. Well, I had a nice time anyway. Well,
6: I didn't say I didn't have a nice time. I just said that I get kind of tired listening to Bert. You know, Mrs. Fisher is certainly a real hostess. Wasn't that Horlick's delicious?
11: The best malted milk I've ever tasted. You're not going to give Martha credit for that, are you?
6: Well, why
7: not? She mixed up that glass of Horlicks, didn't
11: she? Horlicks is always delicious, no matter who mixes it. I could do every bit as well as Martha Fisher. Oh,
7: so that's it, huh? You women certainly are a
6: jealous lot.
11: Nonsense, but I don't want to see Martha Fisher get credit for something that the makers of Horlicks are responsible for. Well,
6: I'm willing to be convinced, but you'll have to prove it to me, though. I'll tell you what you do. Have a big glass of Horlicks waiting for me when I get home from the office tomorrow, and and I'll let you know if it's as good as that that we had at Fisher's tonight. And listen, get a big package of Horlicks. And we'll always have it on hand to serve to folks that we're entertaining. You know, everybody likes Horlicks, and that's a mighty fine late evening drink. Because it won't keep you awake later, as many beverages do. And
7: there's a mighty good point, folks. One reason why Horlicks is such a wonderful drink to serve in the evening. Far from keeping you awake later, Horlicks, before going to bed, relaxes and soothes. Helps you to fall asleep easily and quickly. And Horlicks is such a delicious, refreshing drink. As Tom Baldwin said, everybody loves Horlicks malted milk. You can get Horlicks, you know, in either natural or chocolate flavor. This is Carlton Bricker, speaking for Lum and Abner and Horlicks, who bid you all good
2: night and good health.
1: Are you understanding them any better?
0: Hell no (laughs) (laughs) I mean I still can't believe they called it Oklahoma (laughs) (laughs) I can (laughs) Tulsi Oklahoma Oklahoma (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness Um, (laughs) Uh,
1: You are getting an education
0: And a half, yes I am Yeah, uh huh um, and and for people to know, um, $250 back in 1935 was the equivalent of $3,000 today. So uh, times that by 10, it would have been $30,000 mm-hmm. or $300,000 actually. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. They were rich. Too bad they just didn't know it.
1: (laughs) Anyway, guys and gals, that just about wraps us up today. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. And remember to uh, like us and hit the notification bell and all that happy hooligan stuff. And um, next week, uh, we've got coming up my cohort here wanted to hear some Abbott and Costello and some, um, uh, Dick Tracy. He got down on his knees and begged me to pl- to play those. So I'm, I felt sorry for him. So I'm going to get, I even some- kissed
0: her shoes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. That my bare feet.
0: Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I made sure they stank. <laughs> uh, Southern comfort. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But anyway, um, no, we're going to have, I'm going to have some um, Dick Tracy and some Abbott and Costello just for him for doing such a good job for me and for y'all. And uh, then um, I have another added surprise, but I'm not going to tell him about it until I put it in the uh, box that we share. Because I don't want him to go looking it up before I get ready to put it in the folder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's going to be interesting.
1: Because I think it's something, well, actually, you and I have discussed it uh, briefly. Um, but I know you won't remember, so um, no, I'm going surprise couldn't. you with yeah. it.
0: Uh-huh, there you go. <laughs>
1: because it's something that I think you'll like
0: and well, let's hope. the
1: other people will like um but anyway um this just about does it so I look forward to seeing you next week
0: bye bye everybody